Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you after a super fun and somewhat exhausting week over in uh, Berkshire at Royal Ascot. Happy to be back on these shores, getting ready to make the trip up to Saratoga. Today's guest has been a long time in coming. I have spoken before in professional context, but this is somebody I could describe so many ways. A, a, a dear friend, my first boss, really, when it comes to racing. Somebody I've known long enough that for the first time in the however many it is now, 600 podcasts I've done, I was able to call up the guest number from memory. Even JK, when I dial him, I, it's either, you know, quick dial or uh, I look up the number if I have to dial landline. This guy, I've known him so long, I could just call him. You know him from a lot of places, but I'm going to guess most of you know him from his work as a bloodstock agent, his work as a rider, his work as one of the masterminds behind the Saratoga special. I'm talking about Sean Clancy. Sean, how are you today? Uh, great, Pete. Nice to be on the show. There's so much I want to get out of you, but we'll start off by previewing the Saratoga meet a little bit. In general, how are you feeling about this new calendar? The meet goes longer. We get the critical extra off day. Where do you stand on these changes? Uh, you know, I'm a purist. So, uh, you know, I, I remember the days when it was, uh, you know, the month of August and short meet. More people went for the whole meet back then and uh, had that great kind of passion and urgency and, I remember when I first started going to Saratoga, I always said you couldn't not go to the races. I mean, you looked at a card and you're like, oh, my God, I got to go over there. No matter if you were broke, drunk, hungover, <laughs> tired, worn out, you were going because it was that kind of card. So uh, I hate to see it get longer. I understand it. Uh, you know, I'm a ca I understand capitalism. I understand business. Uh, and I don't begrudge anybody for making it longer. But. Uh, I'm a, I'm a purist, so uh, I, I kind of hate that it's gotten this long, but uh, it's still the best there is, so you know, we're excited to, excited to get going. At the same time, you must be looking forward to the extra off day. At least they're not adding racing days. If they were going to stretch it the extra half a week, I thought this was the civilized way, and from somebody who works as hard as you up there, I have to imagine you're going to appreciate that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I like that part. I think it was the natural, the natural segue to, you know, to, to making it a little bit longer. Certainly gives the people a little bit of a, more of a rest in between weeks, uh, helps the horses a little bit. You know, they get a few extra days, at least if you're going to run a horse back. It's, uh, you know, you might not have to run them back so quickly. Um, so I like that. I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, that one day off, it's like, you know, you're just like t Tuesday, you're trying to catch up with everything you've put off. I mean, I, I think that's the part. The part about Saratoga is what what kills you is like it's just everything else in your life. I mean, we all have other lives. So you put that all on hold. And then in the past, it was like, oh, man, Tuesday morning, you're trying to catch up with everything. But, but meanwhile, you had Wednesday racing to look forward to and, and preview and get started. So. Uh, that'll certainly be make it better. I, I think certainly for the jockeys and horsemen, uh, it'll make a big difference. You were talking about the old days, the August place to be. Of course, for long before that, it was a three-week meet. Since I've been going up, I think I came up, it was always six weeks. The first lengthening that I saw was to six and a half. But the paper started, and it was a six-week meet. What are the biggest changes you've seen in racing in, gosh, I should know this off the top of my head, but is it, is it the 22 year history of the Saratoga special at this point? Uh, it's, we started in 2001. Okay. So, um, I gave you a couple extra 19, years. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it feels like. It feels <laughs> more than that. You know, on one hand, on one hand it does, on one hand it doesn't. I mean, it's a fascinating experience, but uh, I mean, the biggest change, and you got to remember, I was going to Saratoga, I mean, I was there, I was going with my father when he trained some jumpers and some flat horses in the 70s, and um, and then I was riding races up there. My first summer, my first full summer at Saratoga was 1989, uh, and then we started the Saratoga Special in 2001. So, you know, we, so I've seen the changes, and I've seen all those changes. So, um, I mean, the biggest change, I mean, there's several, but the biggest one is the is the change in the training the trainer's ranks i mean i remember when i started up there you know there was just 
a plethora of little trainers. I mean, the guys had three horses and five horses and eight horses and six horses. And, they, you know, each barn, you just had like, you know, a regular barn at Saratoga it just seemed like there were four or five different little guys in each barn. Um, I remember, I remember going up there and freelancing and you, you, you just catch, you catch freelance galloping gigs for just all, you know, complete variety of people. Um, so I think that that's been a major change and that's, that's just, it's a little disappointing. Certainly as a journalist is, you know, it's nobody's fault, but it's like, you know, you go back to the same people day in, day out where back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, it was like everybody had, you know, you, there was just a more of a variety of trainers. I remember looking at the, if you, I dig up an old trainers list, a, a phone list, and it's the numbers from years ago, um, you know, the amount of trainers on that list compared to today is, uh, that's huge, hugely different. And, and I think the biggest change as far as schedule goes in Saratoga, you know, used to have those, you know, they've, they've started making the weekends bigger Travers day, of course, and some of the Saturdays where, you know, some of the other cards just don't have the same, um, the same weight or the same, you know, kind of level of talent or level of quality that you remember back in the day. Back in the day, it was always like, oh, it's West Point Day or it's Yaddo Day or it's, oh, it's the, the Test Day or it's uh, Alabama Day. You know, you had those, or Dancer Day, you had those even like on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those cards, they kind of had their own individual days. Back in, back then, New York Red Phillies ran on the grass, ran against each other once, and they got out. That was it, you know, and they'd split it. And, you know, I was galloping for Leo O'Brien. It was like, we, you know, Irish actress, Irish Lynn. They were the, right. uh, might be the only times they, they met, you know, or, or ran up there. So Death, taxes, um, and Leo O'Brien wins the Yado. That's how I, that, when yeah, I exactly. came into the game, that was how exactly. pretty much how it went. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think those two, those two are, those two huge changes to, to the, <laughs> To the racing we've talked I'm before and this other stuff but sure i mean you we could go on we could do a whole show about that one question and, sure, and yeah. we've talked before on mostly on the in the money players podcast about the sort of super cards and what they give and what they take away but i want to drill down to a topic we've never really talked about on any of my shows and it has to do with what you were saying before for those uh some newer listeners who might not fully pick up on it we're now dealing with many fewer larger operations as opposed to back in the day when there was uh what you might call a middle class of horse trainers do you believe there's anything we can do for that middle class or is this just an inevitable economic change like the lengthening of the meat that we just sort of have to grin and bear I mean, I, I think there's two. I mean, I think there's certainly things they could do to to help that. I mean, I think I think the I think the races for horses that are purchased at a, for a price at a sale. I think that's a good idea. I think you can try to incentivize smaller barns. I, I've always said, you know, have races for. Uh, you know, trainers who haven't started 50 horses in, in this year or something like that. And I think there's things like that. But ultimately, it, I, I think it, it it goes to the – it's in the owner's hands. I mean, I, I think these owners now, they're just, you know, send all their horses to the big trainers. I, I, I don't think it would take much for the tra- the owners to, to change the way it has gone. And just, I mean, if you took – if they if they'd send – if you took some of the big owners and they'd send one or two horses to, you know, five or 10 different trainers, I mean, sure, send, send your majority of horses to your main trainer, but split up the others, I think people would follow. I think if somebody looked up and said, wow, uh, Godolphin has a horse with Jimmy Toner, or Godolphin has a horse with Dave Duggan, or, uh, you know, the Dave Donk, or somebody like that, I think, I think the other, I think owners would look and say, wow, you know, look at that, maybe I'll send some horses there. So I think there are things we can do. I mean, it's certainly, it's never going to go back to the days when, it was this, you know, there were that many smaller trainers. Um, you know, back then you had smaller owners too. I mean, owners had, you know, guys had their, you know, three or four horses or six horses. They'd send them to their trainer, and it was just a totally different lifestyle, a totally different approach. Um, and I, I think, it, I think it would, I, I do think it's, I think it's one of the biggest problems we have, and these the, the numbers that these trainers have. I'm not begrudging them. I understand it. And they deserve it. They're great horse trainers. But um, uh, it's a big issue in thoroughbred racing for sure. 
do you believe, and I can hear some listeners uh, in the Lexington, Kentucky area potentially bristling when they hear me even suggest this, but I want to get your opinion on it. I'm not certain this is a good idea, but it, it certainly seems a logical jumping off point from what you're saying. Is there something to the idea of limiting the maximum stable size for some of the bigger trainers? Yeah, it's hard to limit it because, you know, like at Saratoga, if, you know, you have the harness track, which is not governed by Naira, you have those private barns, you have other racetracks where, you know, it's hard to limit. Yeah, you can, you can limit a guy's number of stalls at a certain, at a certain stable, you know, let's say you can, you know, and and they do that. But when, when a, when a trainer can have horses off site and have different racetracks, then, um, you know, and obviously the other racetracks are going to welcome them because they need them. Um, so it's hard to limit how many stalls a person gets for that reason. I mean, if you go to Saratoga, you look at the numbers of horses that are at the harness track and, and the different private barns. Um, that's where a lot of the numbers are um, for those trainers. They could just run them off the farm, in other words. Like there's no, there, yeah. it, there's no effective yeah. way yeah. of 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 doing that anyway. I just, it does seem like um, an issue worth at least talking about, even if there isn't uh, just some way to. I guess it's probably just better to incentivize folks economically to you to be more uh, to be more creative in their trainer selection. I mean, we've seen the the. California tried that idea of the limiting it to the horses uh, for a certain price and Baffert won both of them. Right? Like it's not, right, it's sure. not yeah. exactly yeah. Uh, the, the idea, but I kind of like what you were saying of a lim- look at it the other way and really make it uh, races for, for trainers in, in the, the quote unquote middle class. Have you ever seen that attempted anywhere? I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it. And, and the the old purists, you know, the old racing Howard Battle uh, would be rolling over in his grave because he always said, "You, you can't write a race for people. You can only write a race for horses." <laughs> and, um, and but I also think you know Howard Battle and those guys weren't dealing with the situation we're dealing with today. So it's a different. Um, I think there's a way to be more creative with conditions. I, I I think you could do that. I don't see why not. I mean, I, I look. You give it a try and see what happens. Um, you know, I, I think that's, um, I mean, that would be a start, but I, I think most things it's, it, it, you're exactly right. I think you have to, you have to try to create opportunities, um, as opposed to restricting, you know, restricting the big trainers, uh, is, is, is a difficult assignment just for, as I said, because it's hard to, you know, it's hard to limit stalls when there's these, I mean, if Naira was, was in control of all the private barns in Saratoga and in control of the harness track, and in control of Mammoth Park and other racetracks, <laughs> then yeah, you, you can limit the stalls. But it's really hard to limit the stalls when you don't have control of those stalls. There's no real world solution, it doesn't sound like. Let's turn our attention to this coming meet. Um, what are you looking forward to the most? Is there a particular storyline you're looking forward to at this point in the meet? I mean, are, and, and what's your sort of emotional state at this point? Are you dreading the hard work to come? Do you still get the, a, a little bit of extra juice when Saratoga's around the corner? Well, I mean, the one thing you have to remember for us is we, you know, we kind of get off the ride for a bit. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we're not doing, you know, we don't go, we're not packing up and going to the next racetrack and we kind of get back to our other lives. So, so, and I mean, Tom Law, Joe, my brother and I, I mean, so for us, you know, we're writing the rest of the year, but we're not writing like this. So for us, we're, we're, we're ready. You know, we're, gotcha. we're like, I mean, we're ready to roll. I'm excited to get writing again. Uh, I mean, Saratoga is just, even with like, even with the, the, the you know, the, the trainers with a lot of horses and those kind of things, there's still great stories and there's still, um, you know, there's still, yeah, you know, you can still find those stories. My favorite part, is, is the morning. I mean, that's just by far my favorite part of Saratoga. And that's what I look forward to just to going out there every morning and just hanging on the, hanging by the rail and renewing my great friendships and acquaintanceships with all these, you know, great horse trainers and jockeys and owners and friends who a lot of times I haven't seen for, I might not have seen since last year. So 
uh, you know, that, that to me is the best part. So, you know, to stand on the rail and have Bill Ma ride up on his pony and just talk, you know, not even for a story, like not, you know, tape recorders not running, just stand there and <laughs> just shoot the breeze with, with Bill Ma in the morning or, or the, 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 you know, that, that type of person is just, to me, that's the best. I mean, I just love going out there and seeing, you know, the, the, the people I haven't seen for, uh, for that long. And I, I love watching horses train. And I remember that when I go back to Saratoga every year and I, I go out there that first morning and I'm stressed and I'm kind of, you know, you know what's about to be in store. You got to, you got to, <laughs> you know, mountain to climb. But when I walk out there that first morning and I see a horse gal by, I just like, I get that. It's just a, it's like, Ah, uh, just yeah, wow! I love this so much. Um, so that's what I—that's that to me is the best part. I'm picturing the the hair on your arm standing on its end when you see a good yeah, one come course. by. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I exactly. ran into I'm you sitting in my car in a parking lot. My hands are going. Everybody <laughs> walks by, is thinking I'm crazy. And you're like trying to describe the racetrack at Saratoga. You know, I'm Saratoga morning. <laughs> I remember running into you back there last year. I think I was tagging along with my friend uh, Jake Ballas of Black Type Thoroughbreds for a morning, and you you just looked, you saw me in deadpan. What, did you get lost? <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not used to being up that early uh, all the time, but I tell you, it's magic back there, and I, uh, I, I, I love those mornings too. I mean, I don't experience them the same way that that you guys do, but it's something every 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 yeah. Most people listening to this show, the the pedigree show you know they know but we have a lot of regular racing fan listeners too and and trying to get as close to that as possible and at saratoga you know there there's certainly ways of getting out in the morning and getting a taste of just what sean is talking about let, let me go back to the i sort of spun that question halfway through it, are there any specific stories you're looking forward to following at this year at saratoga I mean, I, you know, it'd be, I, I'd like to see a three-year-old step up, you know, I mean, that's what I think everybody's waiting for, you know, it'd be fun to see, see one of these three-year-olds step up and, and become a, you know, a, a, become the star of the division. Uh, that, uh, that's what I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, you know, as far as the racing goes, look, you know, you just, uh, I mean, that every race up there, every stake, all those big days are, um, I mean, that's as a whole, that's you just waiting to see those, you know, as specific horses. I've got a few horses that maybe would run there. I mean, that's obviously like all of us. You have your kind of ones that you're associated with. You hope you get to see some of them run. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's more of a, more of a overall, just the sheer, um, brilliance of, of going to a race meet like that and watching, you know, those, those, those type of horses run every day. Um, that's what I, you know, just just love it. Do you have a guess as to who that three-year-old in question might be? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't. God, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I really don't. I don't know. I mean, you're kind of waiting for something to step up. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, you know, some days you get up there, you see some train, you know, you see a horse really develop that, you know, maybe wasn't the same in uh, – you know, you saw him. You saw him during the Triple Crown, and then you see him there. And I mean, I've had a few. You stand out, and you get there. You're like, wow, look at this horse. Um, so that's you're just kind of waiting for something like that. You know, what is the balance of your work life these days between your uh, your bloodstock work, your horse ownership, uh, working on the This Is Horse Racing website, and of course the Saratoga Special? How would you how would you describe your your sort of workflow and what the balance is? Uh, it kind of depends on what time of year, but it's certainly going. It's it's certainly moving in the direction of more bloodstock and more partnership. Uh, you know, River D stables, uh, stables. So I'm you know doing more and more of that and the bloodstock business. And um, you know, once I I get right in, you know, obviously the summer you start really ramping up Saratoga Special. So I'm devoting a lot of time to that now. Um, but the rest of the time, I mean, I spend a lot of time watching racing, downloading form, looking at sales, and, and now I need more. I mean, those sales are everywhere between England and Ireland here. Um, I do a little of everything, so I buy yearlings and also horse and training, steeplechase horses, obviously. And so, you know, there's no real um, – there's no real limit to it. I mean, you can do as much. I mean, I, you know, if I, I got to be careful. Some days I start downloading French form and start <laughs> looking, watching and I'm like, well, I got, I got to step away from this. But <laughs> I'll, I'll do a cheat sheet. I do my little spreadsheet. I'll have everything from, uh, 
you know, fountain blue to uh, mountaineer in a day. You know, you're like, man, this, I think I've gone too far here. <laughs> oh, that's great. I want to talk to you about betting, but I want to put a pin in that because I want to ask another sort of publishing question, which is I remember in those early years of the Saratoga special, I don't think there wasn't any online component. These days, of course, with the site throughout the year, this is horse racing online factors into it a lot more what do you think the balance of the 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 readership is at this point between uh print and online how important is the physical saratoga special paper as opposed to saratoga special slash this is horse racing the entity well we thought about it a lot i mean obviously we look at it i you know i still think i mean i i don't think it's obvious the saratoga is still one of those places that the print really works i mean people like to go up there and walk up to the morning line kitchen in the morning and and grab it off the off the paper rack they like going to the races and and grabbing the copies of it um so you know the the print the the online version is more for people who can't be physically in saratoga so i mean and we have you know, readers all over the world reading it um it's funny you know we'll post the online version at you know midnight and uh you'd be shocked how many emails you get right then like wow specials done done early tonight you know we get something <laughs> posted at 10 or 11 o'clock at night and we'll get people well you guys are cracking you must be going out you must have you're going out for beers or something how'd you get done earlier or whatever <laughs> so that's kind of fun uh and then if we're late we get emails like come on guys what are y'all doing should i go to bed should i go to bed now and get up early or you know how long is it gonna be so that part's really fun but i mean i love seeing and it's been like that from the beginning when you know i've i've been i took the saratoga i took the physical saratoga i mean i take a a stack of a hundred and put them on the on the rack by the morning line kitchen at five thirty every morning and you just see people just go and you know just it's like their routine and you see people walk they'll kind of take a look and see if it's there or you know trainers will be walking with the horses and you see them take a look and walk over and grab one and uh that part's brilliant you know and that that's what saratoga i mean that, that in in our crazy world that we live in today saratoga still has that house still has that um you know, on site, uh, you know, beauty of it. You know, you really want to be there. You want to, you want to be out in the morning. You want to be standing holding a paper. You want to be holding the physical paper and drinking a coffee and watching a horse gallop and talking to your friends. I mean, I think people, people still really, really treasure that, you know, uh, and then Saratoga delivers that, which is, uh, that's why it's so special. When, no pun intended, when the paper started, I can recall it being described by one trainer as, oh, you'll laugh at this if you remember, a a more sophisticated Indian Charlie. (laughs) It's gone from... Yeah, we like to think so, right? Sure. It's gone from this sort of, you know, quasi-insider publication to something that really, I think, is in the fabric of Saratoga for a lot of uh, horsemen and horse players. What does that transition meant to you? The fact that you can go there and see so many people who you admire uh, stuck into your work. Well, no, that, that part's that, that part's the, uh, that was the goal of it. I mean, that was our vision when Joe and I came up with the idea. I mean, I literally was at Saratoga all those summers galloping horses and riding. Well, look, I wrote them not acting like I was Jerry Bailey. I was riding two races <laughs> a week. Um, at best and uh and and i would i would go over there and watch those races and and then i was i was always a reader so i get up obviously before the internet before cell phone if you missed harvey pack's replay show you might not ever see the replay of the race you know so i i would read i'd read i'd buy every newspaper the next morning and i'd read all these articles and i and i was just i would be floored by how I just felt like they missed. I'm like, God, this is like, this is that they missed it. This, what, that wasn't, that wasn't the moment, you know? And so that's where Joe and I wanted to create that for, um, for readers, for fans to be able to, um, really get the inside, you know, the essence of Saratoga. And I'm very proud that we've been able to do that. I, I, I look back at some of those moments of my life that, you know, I, I watched the Prioris with Alan Jerkins at Amazon Corp. I watched it with him. He and I standing in the chute, in the paddock chute where he would always stand and watch, watch his, those races. It was he and I. That was it. 
and I just took a shot. I was like, you know, this, this Philly's got a little, this has got a little chance. I'll go watch it with the Chiefs. And I stood down there and watched it with him. And he whipped around and high fived me about knocking <laughs> down when she won. And then I walked up the, I walked up the racetrack with Alan Jerkins, and, and he and I, and, and you know, he's got a, he's got a seersucker sport coat tucked under his arm and he he's walking and he's crying he's crying and he's looking at me and, he, and then the photo the crowd he could kind of sense the crowd was like whoa when they saw the replay and he looked at me and she's, she got it she got it right and i was like oh my god i hope i think she got it i hope she got it she didn't get it he said to me i'm like no i think she did you think and i'm like oh you know and, so, and then to be able to i mean he and i walk i basically walked him to the winner's circle I mean, or he walked me i mean it was just basically we, we was just it was like the, it was just the epitome of what i love about thoroughbred racing and, and then to go home I mean, I ran in the office. I said to Joey, my brother, I, and I looked down and I said, I watched it with Chief. <laughs> he was like, he just shook his head like, <laughs> like, I, and like he, he couldn't believe it, but he could believe it. You know what I mean? Because that's what we've done. I, and I get obviously get passionate about it. I oh, just, that's great. Those moments, you know, that's what I love about the special. Those moments of being able to just share some of those moments that, um, that the, the fan I'm so lucky. I mean, how lucky can I be? I'm, I, I'm, I'm so lucky. I'm, I'm able to watch the Prioris with Alan Jerkins. I'm able to, you know, I'm able to stand, I'm standing at the rail in the morning with, with Bill Mott or, uh, you know, even Todd Pletcher or, uh, you know, any, any the, 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 these guys, I mean, I'm able to do that. Oh, it's just, a, you know, it's just a privilege. Well, and you, and you, it's something that you share too. And I think that's why you get so passionate about talking about it. If this was an experience you just had for yourself, I don't think you'd deliver the, the, the telling of it with the same passion. But the fact that you get to, to capture that and bottle it so that all racing fans and, and everybody gets a chance to, to be there on the rail or in the shoot. I got to ask you for a Frankel story. You know, one of our heroes and somebody I know who you had a, a great relationship with. And hearing you talk, the, tell the Jerkin story reminds me of, puts a couple of tales in mind. I can't think of a specific one you have from Saratoga, but I'm sure there is one that'll pop to your mind. <laughs> oh, Frankel was the best when he, I was so intimidated by him. I mean, I was just like everybody. And uh, the first year of the special, he, uh, when he had flute up there and, um, he had flute and um, she won and he he's you know Frank I love but he, he he kept saying she's she's reincarnated and she's reincarnated and all the writers would just kind of they just lap it up everybody would lap it up you know he, he he just kept saying it and I stuck it out stuck it out and kind of got there by myself with him and I said um, I said well who was she <laughs> anyway what I said who was she. What do you mean? Who was she? I, you say she's reincarnated. Who was she? <laughs> and he just looked at me like he just was stunned. I mean, he, you know, and he, 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 I don't think he'd ever thought about it. He certainly didn't think anybody would ask him. <laughs> and, uh, oh, he kind of stammered out some words and he laughed. He goes, wow, I don't know. Maybe a girlfriend, maybe an ex-girlfriend, but I don't know. Maybe, and he started like, started, I don't do accents. I can't do impressions. That wasn't well. terrible. He started, he started. Yeah, so he started uh, he started rattling off people, and we were laughing. And uh, I just remember that was kind of our breakthrough. And then the next day, it was very funny. Uh, I wrote the story, and I said in the article, I'll never forget it. I wrote, um, I didn't know I made him. He looked at me, and he said, uh, I won't give it away. He he looks at me, and he says, "You made a mistake in that story." And I was like, "What? Fleet Renee, Flute? You said they never met the Kentucky Oaks." The Kentucky Oak, the Kentucky Oak. He just kept saying, he said it ten times. He just kept saying, the Kentucky Oak, the Kentucky Oak. And I'm like, I was, and I was devastated. And anybody knows me. I mean, I'm like, I could, I mean, I'm like, I'm so devastated that I wrote that they never met. I just blew. I just made a mistake, you know. And Franco, like always, is confident and as tough and arrogant and brilliant as he was. He, he was like offended that I, like, met, didn't think. Flute had beaten Fleet Renee, you know. It's just like he just was like, "How dare you?" And I was, I was devastated. I'm like, "Oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was so upset." He was in Mike Lakehouse's off race, his, his office at the racing at the uh, at the um, racing office, and he said, uh, and then he kind of looked at me, and he was like, 
Well, that's all right. Everybody makes mistakes. I mean, it's just one. Like, hey, man, you know, it's all right. You know, everything. And then, he, then, then I'll never forget. He said, uh, he said, that paper, that paper, that's, that's pretty good. It's going to be a stepping stone for you. You know, that's, that's going to be a stepping stone for you. And I'm, I like, you know, I like, and it was, that was so frank. It like beat you up, but then kind of pick you up too. You know, he like, he never let you go home. Like, oh, you know, great. mad at yourself or something. I don't know, but it was really funny. And then we, we were just really, I mean, I, I wish I was better friends. With, I, I mean, I considered him a friend. We were friends and, uh, he really respected what I did and I respected what he did. And, uh, we had some great, you know, great moments after that. And, uh, yeah, you know, just miss those days. He's a fascinating character. Getting the pretty good from him. That's like, you know, that's like a standing, yeah, right? standing ovation and cartwheels from somebody else. I think the funniest part of the story is, you know, he tells you back in 2001 that it's a stepping stone. And, and here we are in 2019, Sean, and you have the same job. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here I am. Exactly. I'm still doing a still on my paper route. That's what I was laughing. I get up at five thirty in the morning with my newspaper. I'm like, here I am. I'm almost fifty years old and I'm still on a paper route. But that's all right. It, I always say it's my paper route. That's different. Well, and I'll tell you what, in all seriousness, the way you know, with the media landscape was then and what other career opportunities there might have been that that definitely is a he wasn't challenging what you were doing that 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 was a logical way to look at the world in 2001 but as somebody who uh, just myself has transitioned from working for a big company to working for myself like this is where we are with media in 2019 like this is this is kind of where you want to be i feel like it's almost come you know the 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 world of media caught up with you rather than the other way around. Do you think there's <laughs> anything to that? Yeah, I mean a little bit. I, I remember I mean, back then. I remember I, I never questioned being a turf writer. I thought it was a great career and thought it was going to be. I just loved it. I was like I never. I just figured I'd do it and do it well, and the money would follow. And there were jobs everywhere. I mean that's what uh, I, back then. I remember. I remember people saying to me, "Well." I was work, you know, and I don't mean just I. I mean my brother has absolutely been right there with me in the trenches, and now Tom Law. But um, you know, I remember working hard and really working hard at it. And I remember people saying to me, "Well, you know, why don't you could get a job at the Blood Horse? Why don't you get it? You could get it. Why don't you go get a job at the Blood Horse or the racing form, whatever?" And I, I remember finally looking at one of them. And I'm like, I know I can do that. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> That's great. And, and amazingly, now those jobs. I mean, you can well attest. You really be probably can't get. You probably can't even go get that job now. They're all gone. You wouldn't want it, but, you uh, know. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. want it, you know. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to. I'm not trying to be cheeky. It's just, it's tough. Like working for other people. Like we, the business, the size of this business, and the way you can get the word out there, and the power that you can have. You, you just, I think it's just easier to wield it in these sort of independent ways that 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 we're doing i mean we're going way down the rabbit hole here but i really i really think it's i really think it's true but back to that idea of the stepping stone there have been many for whom the saratoga special has been a stepping stone i I don't want to start naming names because (laughs) i'll leave somebody out and i'll feel terrible but there have been so i've done that I don't need to. I don't need to make anybody mad at me. I'm going to see all these people in Saratoga. I don't need a stiff yeah, kick exactly. to the to the to the shin. But suffice it to say that in terms of launching careers and or just elevating careers in the horse racing business, the Saratoga Special. I mean, if it has an equal, it's something like the Darley Flying Start program, and even that would be more on the horsemanship side as opposed to the media side. On the media side. I mean, I think you could put your roster next to Arizona and it'd look, you know, or Louisville and look really, really good. What does it mean to you to have had an influence on so many folks who've gone on to make careers in this business? Oh, look, we are so proud of that. I mean, that's been just one of the most, and you know, I never, none of us would have thought that ahead of time but to have that as part of it to to watch to get emails from or phone calls from people completely random and, and I, I mean a few travis stone sends me an email says he picks up picked up the saratoga special in the picnic area uh at the end of the day and wants advice about how to how to become a race call a race announcer in thoroughbred racing what should he do 
John Panagot sends an email and says, I'm, I'm graduating college. I love horse racing. I want to be a jocks agent. <laughs> My first thing I said is, oh, you don't want to be a jocks agent. Oh, you can do something better than that. Now look at him. Uh, he knew better, but, um, but to give those, you know, to, to offer an opportunity to, to people like that and, uh, and then watch them work hard and, and achieve what they've achieved. Um, and again, you, I, and those are just two kind of names. I, I don't want to go through the whole list cause I will forget somebody, but I do remember t- staying and, and, and we'll, I'll take some credit for giving them the opportunity, but I remember being at John Panagot's, I think it was his birthday party and his mother came over to me and said, you know, I want to thank you so much for, for, for mentoring John. It's meant so much to all of us and, and his family. I said, well, let me tell you something. I don't mentor everybody. I just mentor the ones who are worthy. And she burst into tears, and then I kind of almost burst into tears. So it does take the, it does take the right person. I mean, they, they, they come there, and you can know, you, you'll know real quick if, if the person's right. They can jump in. They can, uh, they can take the pressure. It's complete chaos. You never know what you're going to do. You have to be able to walk up. I mean, talk about John Panagot. I mean, Bobby Frankel kicked John Panagot around. I mean, it was like he was a stray dog. I mean, just you know, and and Panagot would just keep coming back for more. He'd come back, and, man, that was a disaster, Sean. I don't know what. I'm like, ah, don't worry, we can get up tomorrow and just go at it again. And, uh, Quint Kestenick was he was the first one, and he uh, he wanted a job and wanted to get into get into media, thoroughbred racing media, and. Um, he was one of the first ones, and I learned a lot from Quint because he w- he was relentless. He'd just jump in. He's a lacrosse goalie, all American, and he could just take he would take punishment like I've never seen anybody. I mean, he'd just get out there and just go at it every day. You know, just trying to find a story and find it, getting quotes and just working at it. So um, I, I take some credit. I mean, I love those guys. I love what we've been able to do. But believe me, all of them taught me a lot too. I mean, I've watched their work ethic and their style and their approach. And, uh, I'm so proud of all of them. I mean, you included you and Frank were there at the beginning and, you know, all the way through all the years, just, that's just been a very, very special part of it. Well, you're very, you're kind, you're kind to include me in that, uh, in that heady group, but I appreciate it. How's this year's team looking? How how does it work these days? Are people coming out of the woodwork? Do you have people who come back year in, year out? What do you start again every year? What's the story? Well, we have a couple. One thing I would say, we're the, we're the poor man's Darley Flying Start Program. So that's the first thing we always laugh. Uh, we have one rule, is that, well, it's not that set in stone, but we we say you can come back for, as a full-time Saratoga special employee, you can come back, I think, twice, but not three times. Because we're, we're fearful if you've come back for the third time, then you know, you're not getting anywhere in life. You still got open summers and you still don't have a job. And, you know, I, you know, three summers is too much, you know? Um, but no, Tom law handles a lot of it. He's, he's reached, he gets, he kind of organized now. So we have some new faces, I think this year, a few returning faces, some, um, and some part-timers. Um, so we'll see. Well, I'm sure it'll be a good group. And, uh, that, that part's great watching the fresh faces come in and, and like I say, you can see right away whether they're uh, they're going to be successful at it because they can jump in and and uh, handle it, or or they kind of stand there like the you know the deer in the headlights, and they start asking you and they start asking you questions. I you know you look at him like, look, I can you can Google that as fast as I can. Just come on, get going. Like come on, you know, work at it, right? It's a sink or swim place, as I recall, a sink or yeah, swim place. Exactly. Exactly. And that's life. Look, I mean, that's, you know, you, you, you no one's going to hold your hand. You got to, especially thoroughbred racing. I mean, my God, it's, you know, you got to be, you got to be sharp. You got to be able to think on your feet. You got to be able to take, uh, you know, uh, the ups and downs. I mean, I don't care who you are. You're, you're, you like we always say, I mean, you lose way more often than you win. So and that's whether you're owning, training, riding them, writing about them, betting on them, whatever. Sounds about right. I have a feeling you might you might get a few people coming out of the woodwork hearing you on here because it's one of the most frequently asked questions we see is how can I get involved in racing? So the fact that you've pointed to that there's this pathway that exists or I, I goaded you into doing so wouldn't surprise me if you get some resumes. But hey, maybe there'll be a good story to come out of that as well. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about 
the betting side of things and the horse playing side of things. Because one thing that people might not know about Sean is that he is and I'm going to go ahead and say it you're an accomplished better it's very hard to win at this game even if you're not supporting yourself fully by betting just to be able to look at your ADW at the end of the year and have a, a positive result in the vast amount of years I mean that puts you in my opinion in like the top one percentile so how, how much betting are you doing right now how important is it to your overall uh, business plan of life uh, I, I don't, I haven't been doing that much. I mean, the most important thing for me and, you know, is I can't, I can't play that much cause I just, I'm not going to out handicap people. So, uh, what I do well is just find an individual horses and, and trying to bet. I try to, you know, always try to try to bet more less often than, uh, less more often. Um, because you, you know, you and uh, you guys are going to kill me just picking up the racing form and reading it. So, uh, <laughs> if I can concentrate on just, finding horses i like and watching them and and then i do that that, that i do pretty well at. uh but the, you know that's it's just discipline and you got to be really really you know it's discipline and then you got to be like ever like then you have to see you have to know you have to recognize the opportunity right i mean that's like that goes and that's life and betting and whatever you're doing so uh that's important for me if i can just you know, like my, you know, my big, my big scores with Russell Meyer. And, you know, I mean, I remember just watching that horse going like this horse is going to be, you know, he's going to be the, I mean, I said after I was like the Louisiana Derby, I was on Mike Penna's radio show. And I, they said, did you see any Derby? You know, what do you think about the Derby? I said, I don't know anything about the Derby, but Russell Meyer will win the Belmont Stakes. <laughs> I just said it on live radio. You know, I just like, I don't know. I just said it, right? You know, so that's what I do well. I mean, just picking out horses and moments and kind of, if I could stick to that, I, uh, uh, you know, I'll at least win more often than lose. Let's talk about where you, how and where you find these horses. Drosselmeyer, was it something you saw in the race that day or was it something you saw in training? I've seen you pick out horses from both scenarios and I'd love you to talk about each one, see if you can teach these listeners something. Well, like Drosselmeyer, I mean, I, he goes all the way back to Turf Works in Saratoga. I mean, I, back in, when it was a free-for-all out there, it was, you know, it was really, you had to really be paying attention, and there were tons of works, and they're coming at you fast. I remember standing there watching a, a chestnut horse, and I rode, and I, I Bill Mott rode by. It was a Mott horse I loved, and I heard the clocker say, who was that? And, and Bill Mott said, all I got was Drosselmeyer, rah, rah. And I was, and I remember writing on my notepad, Drosso slash Mott. That's all I knew. I didn't know who it was, his name or anything else. And then Mott ran him on the grass, obviously, which I was a little, I didn't pick up very quickly on that. I was thinking Mott thought he's a grass horse. He didn't think he's a grass horse. He just thought he's a distance horse. So he ran him two turns, which was the only race he could run him. Um, and so then I'd followed him ever since. And then Louisiana Derby just kept plugging away, plugging away. He didn't have enough speed, but he didn't run. He didn't win it, luckily, so he didn't have to go to the Derby. Mott would have more time. And it just, you know, it just was like, it just was the the perfect Bill Mott scenario with a long stamina type horse, you know, with a little time and, you know what I mean? It was just obvious. When you talk about being impressed by horses' workouts, what is it that you're seeing? What is it that you're looking for? How can you, how do you describe that? I mean, for me, I, it's just, it's usually just a overall picture or package of a horse. I mean, I love balance. I just like, I'll pick out different types, um, but I just, it's always kind of balance and presence, I think, or I, you know, it's a little hard to, sometimes I'm not really sure. It's almost innate where you just kind of, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to overthink it. I know when you're looking for the horse, you tend to make a mistake. So it's almost like you have to be there with just an open mind and uh, you have to be aware enough that for that horse to strike you and you notice it. Um, you are describing it as mistake, a sixth would, sense. Like, you're, you're descri- you hear what, you know what I'm saying? It's like a sixth sense with you at this point. It sounds like like those a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a little bit. And I, my, uh, what I, I, sometimes I would, and you, you, you know, Pete, you've taught me this. I mean, you, you know, you, I remember when we were first, we were first friends. I remember you were making money on my opinions and I wasn't making any money because I didn't even recognize my opinions. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is crazy. Like there was, I remember going to the Breeders' Cup 
when it was in California, it was Joe Har and and it was and uh, the two year old Amandellas, who I love. Action uh, this day. Action this day. I love. I I watched Action this day every day. Train. I was just bananas over Action this day. And at the end of the day, you were like, "Oh my God! I just man, you must have made a fortune. Like man, we crushed it. How much money did you make?" And I remember standing there going like. Oh God! I I, I I bet like ten dollars on action this day. I think I might not even bet. I mean, I was just standing there like, oh man, because you know I grew up as a horseman, you know, not as a better. It was just who. I, that's just how who I was. You know, it's just the, like, you know, it's people that, and I always bet. I mean, I bet as a kid and enjoyed it and had a laugh. But it's really taken years to kind of recognize that maybe there is something to use for your advantage you know what i mean like i just it's taken me a long time to figure that out how have you changed betting to where you've become a winning better now well the key is not like i said i just can't bet very often like for me i i mean i i've got it's, it's in conversations with you and a few other people like i i mean i would love a horse and i'd go over there and bet 20 dollars, and then i'd be standing there just bored out just bored with nothing to do and you know half paying attention to the race and bet you know, 20 or right. bet, you know, the horse I love, I bet 50. Then I'm stabbing in a race and I bet a dollar try for 24 bucks. And I'm like, later I go, what, what am I thinking? <laughs> I, I love that horse. And I bet 40 bucks. And then I, then I, I hated this race. I had so little opinion that I did the old dollar try box because I was like, <laughs> I didn't have a clue who was going to win, which is absolutely when you shouldn't be trying to bet a try box when you don't even know, you don't even have one opinion, but you know what I mean? Like that's where I've gotten better at it. instead of just being like my, it's money management, recognizing an opportunity, recognizing an opinion. I mean, that's the most important thing. Sometimes, I mean, if you, I always say, you know, having no opinion is an opinion. So don't go near the race. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What pools are you yeah. in when you're wagering now? Well, I mean, I do. I mean, I love the old window. I mean, I still just try to I bet to win if I see value there. And then, you know, I'll bet. I mean, I, I get I get caught up with tries. I mean, I don't know why. My, my success level with, with tries are just the worst. I don't even know why I try to bet them. <laughs> Um, exactas are, you know, if I would stick to exactas and win bets, I'd probably do well. I have a hard time with multiple races because I, I just, I might not ha- occasionally they'll be back to back, like at Saratoga, especially they will be back to back races or three in a row that I have big opinions on. But a lot of times I have on a day, I only have, I might have one opinion all day. Um, you know, so it's hard for me to give like a pick three or stuff like that's hard because I, I don't, I'm not like I'm not a handicapper. Like I'm not getting the form and just devouring every race and looking at them and trying to come up. It's like, for me, I'm just like, I look at the race. Oh, here's, you know, here's this horse I like. Okay. How do I craft a bet with this horse? I like keeping it as simple as possible. You guys are going to, you, you and your friends will out handicap me every day. I mean, I just, I'm not like, I'm just not who I am. You know, speed numbers and looking at figures and looking at form and knowing, I mean, I just, that's just not what I do best. No, I mean, but dialing down. I enjoy down. that, but I'm just not very good at it. Well, and I, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying I'm not any good at it. I don't have any advantage. You guys, right. I mean, there's people that are going to have a. I don't have an advantage when I'm just handicapping a race. I handicap a race. I look at it. Obviously, I handicap it, but it, it, it's. I'm not going to. I don't have any advantage over over the smart guys. What's been your most memorable day as a better? <laughs> well, Orb was huge when he won the derby i mean that was like that was crazy i love that that was a great moment i just had you know had, i just had everything i had the i like i had win place i had exact that tried super i mean it was just like wow i just had it <laughs> i keep him on top and then just had everything else and it was just like standing there going like man look at this how could this happen and then uh my best one was cheltenham a couple of years ago I, I went over it was the last two races and I walked up to the tote, and uh, I was at a, I was at kind of a luncheon, so I wasn't down with the bookies. I was up in the top floor, and I, it was the last two races of the day. And I, so I went up, and this is where this is, this is what I'm kind of getting back to the, my point. And I wasn't really betting that much, but I, I liked two horses in the last two races. So I bet, I bet twenty pounds each way on uh, Tiger Roll, 
and then and then I bet twenty pounds each way on Tully East. This is Tiger Roll before he won any of the grand before he won Grand Nationals sure. or anything else. He's in the four mile amateur race. So I bet twenty pounds each way on those two horses. And I walked I stepped away from the counter and there was nobody there, nobody behind me, like no pressure and and I didn't have anybody with me. And I remember saying to myself, What if they do the late double? So I turned, I said to the woman, I said, do you do the late, do you have a late double? And she said, um, the tote, uh, double on the, you know, she wasn't like the late double, like I said. And I said, yeah, the winner's a late. She goes, yes. I said, let me have a five pound late double on Tiger Roll to Tully East. And did you mention the prices on these horses in the story yet? Have you mentioned the prices? Yeah, they were like 16, I mean, they were 16 to one, I think. They were decent prices. And, um. So I bet five pounds on, on the double. Well, Tiger Roll, of course, he wins, and then Tully East wins the next race. Well, I mean, I get man, I'm fired up, right? So I jump in the car with all my English friends, and um, I say to them, I said, um, I said, we we ran out of there before we we're gonna cash the ticket because to beat the crowd. So we jump in, we jump in there. We always had this big crazy Marlboro football van, so we jump in the Marlboro <laughs> football van that we rent for the week with George Baker trains horses, George and Canada, his wife and whole, his whole crew. I get in the car and I kind of subtly say, um, what do you guys think the late double would pay (laughs) the last two races? So the door slamming. Um, and, uh, they said the what? I said the late double. And they're like, the late double. What is that? And I'm like, the winners of the last two races. (laughs) There's no such bet. (laughs) Then I'm thinking, oh my God, I didn't, what have I done? I didn't bet, like I didn't get there. Oh my God. You know, so on that I'm panicking. They're laughing at me because I got the wrong bet. So I get home, I try to find it, you know, there, it's an antiquated system. I'm trying to find it online and what it would pay. Can't find it anywhere. Then I'm thinking, oh my God, I got the right, maybe I didn't bet the, I don't know what I've done. So we go back the next day and George Baker, he's, all right, Clant, they all call me Clant. Come on, Clancy, I'm going to go with you and just, See how see this bet you made, ha ha! And he's kind of laughing. He's rooting for me, and he's hoping I got it, but he doesn't know. So I walk up, and I hand hand the woman the first. I give her the each way ticket. That's like a couple hundred. And I hand her the next each way ticket. That's a couple hundred. And I'm like, I kind of take a deep breath and I slide <laughs> the ticket across the counter. And she looks at me and she says, "Well, do you know what this ticket's worth?" <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for her to say nothing, you know, and I said, uh, no, I don't really know. And she said, well, I don't have that kind of money here. <laughs> and then I love that. I got fired up. <laughs> so I ended up, I got, I don't know, I think I got like over 5,000 pounds and ended up like 5,500 pounds from basically a five pound unreal double was it would it have paid that was pretty cool i I, like that i was wondering if it would have paid the same if you had it for one pound as five i mean how many people funny part you know (laughs) you you know you're instantly your your first thought was oh my god i should have had more what was i thinking god what if i had it for 20 and i actually did find it finally took me a long time i did find it there were six winning tickets for a pound each, and I had five out of the six. You know, the other poor guy, you know, he was crushed, right? He was like, man, this thing didn't pay much. <laughs> Nearly yeah. a clean sweep. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that felt pretty good. I like that. That's that's terrific. Back to Orb for a second. What's what's the story of how you uh, how you fell in love with him? Was that a handicapping angle from from seeing how good he looked in the Florida Derby, or was that a watching him train? A little, a little both. I kept watching the horse run, and he just looked like a horse was getting better. I'd watched him, you know, and chug. I mean, I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I kind of bet from a horseman's angle. I mean, I'm, a, you know, a late maturing horse from Shug or Bill Mott, those type of horses, because they haven't fried them. You know, they're going to let them just kind of gradually develop, and they might get really good on some day at their own pace. You know what I mean? Where with somebody else, they might not ever get there because they'd been pressured too much so i i just loved that horse i loved him all winter long i just kept watching them and just and and then it was all a matter of getting the you know it was like getting the clunkers in for second third fourth i mean that was the key and i, I kind of had those I and mean, that was lucky that it, that kind of worked paper handicapping yeah, just to figure mine. out who it's who, always yeah. just I, I just pick out horses i like i mean tully east and tiger roll 
I'd watch. I loved Tiger Roll when he was four years old, winning the Cheltenham when he won the, I guess, the Triumph Hurdle or whatever. I mean, I loved him from then. Then he went chasing, and you know, he he was he wasn't Tiger Roll, the, the dual Grand National winner who he is now. I mean, it was like he, he was he, he didn't you know, he was a big price in the amateur handicap at Saratoga. I mean, at Cheltenham, and um, Tully East, same thing. I'd watch Tully East for years i mean i just and that's where like my business now selling steeplechase horses. i've won two big novice stakes this spring with city dreamer and jibber farrow and people ask me about them like i watched these horses run i watched them for over a year before i actually was able to buy the horses you know and that's why i do that's those are my good moves when i'm see a horse and just follow them and you just something about them you think you know someday they're going to be good maybe we'll change if you can change something you know that that's what I that's the only thing I do well. I'm not bra- It's not. I'm not even. I'm just saying that that's if I have any talent, if I have any, <laughs> what, that that's what it is. Just oh. finding. You know, just picking out horses and watching them, and in situations where maybe someday they'll deliver on the day. You're you're very modest, but we appreciate that about you. What's a lesson that horse players can learn from horsemen? One of the things that always stands out, and I'm not sure how you apply this, but the one the one discrepancy is that always strikes me is that the horse the horse the better the better looks, and I, I hear it so often. They'll say, "What?" And I'm keep saying Bill Mott, but let's say let's say whoever, let's say Dave Duggan. What is Dave Duggan running this horse a mile for? This horse doesn't want. He wants to go farther than the mile. Well, Dave Duggan might have entered this horse ten times, and the race hasn't gone. You know, so I, the one thing, like for the the amount the amount of times that the horseman, the trainer, is actually in the race on the day in the situation that they want. I mean, they've picked out, they've planned, is so rare because the races they're so they don't go, they they don't the horses don't get in, they overfill, they come off the grass, so. A lot of times when, when a, a better is looking at a form, they're thinking like, I think they think, oh, this, this, this is really where this trainer wants to run. And a lot of times it's not where they want to run. They just happen to be in this race, and especially when it comes to, you know, allowance type horses or, uh, you know, maidens, you, maidens, you had some, you can at least point a maiden because there are a lot of maiden races and stake horses for sure. I mean, you can point to a stake, but that part is, that part's just if you, when you're you know if they're taking entries for 25 races in a day well you know then 10 of them go um that always strikes me i always laugh when i see these you know like when mott wins on his birthday it's like that the one year you want to race on the bir- on his birthday and i said i said i said some kind of joking like yeah you really you know you pointed it for this he goes <laughs> well i entered her four times and the race didn't go and they brought it back as an extra and here we are you know it was just it was classic right you know and, and like it was only so easy where you could just pick a race out and point to the race and get to the race that's funny let me flip that question around what's a lesson that you think horsemen could learn from successful horse players well, look, the best guys, I mean, you know, the, the Frankels and those guys, I mean, they were great handicappers, um, you know, and so, uh, I mean, I think the, I mean, if I was, if I was training horses, I'd have a, I'd have a handicapper as a, you know, and I think a lot of those guys do, um, just being able to, to watch the, you know, to watching the races better than you do, bring, coming from a different angle, bringing kind of a different view of things, um, you know, I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, specifically, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, it's something that you probably could learn. We could probably all learn something if I came up with an answer for it. I think, I think um, I like where you're going with that though. I mean, I've seen, you know, Mike Maloney tells stories about talking to hall of fame level trainers whose horses lost because of biases who were like yeah, puzzled right. by why their horse lost, you know, like just to, to put a little to, to just be aware of the the sort of nuts and bolts and some of the other excuses that might not really I mean it's not their job I mean it's not really their job to worry about the track bias they're worrying about getting their horse right on the day but to be open-minded to the right uh, horse player to to give them some input and some buy-in exactly. to just help explain the world I mean that's probably just to be open-minded might be the answer exactly yeah I think I mean I think and, and it's gone that way I mean you now you see 
trainers using the numbers and using different things where back at, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, they never, not never, but most of them weren't using that. Uh, but you know, it's, you know what it's like, it's a little like money ball or Astro ball where you have these, you, know, you have these old scouts that are, you know, yeah. watching baseball the traditional way, watching players. And then when it comes in, you know, you, you bring that angle of, um, you know, of, of a, an equation or mathematics or percentages or different things. And and the best guys combine the both, combine both. I mean, that's Astro ball was exactly like that. I mean, they combine the two, you got your horseman angle, you know, as like an old scout, you're, you're, you may, I mean, at the Astros did factor in the intangibles of a guy's work ethic and a guy's ability to hit, hit under pressure or, uh, what a guy's value meant in the dugout and, and, and those kind of things. So the best, the most, like any business, the most successful ones are going to be able to apply all the stuff, you know, you're going to use the, and the, and those guys, I mean, Frankel was, Frankel was one of the all time greats because he he was a great handicapper. I mean, the guy was just, he was an incredible handicapper, but he's also a great horseman in a crazy way. I don't know how he became a great horseman, but he was a great <laughs> horseman. His horses looked great. He knew how he would, he just, he knew when to push and when to press and when to slow down and when to back off and, uh, you know, he was just he 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 really had it all. I mean, his horses looked great. Um, he, he he just he was working every angle. I mean, he had everything. Um, he had everything. Where you see some horsemen that are just not good businessmen, not good handicappers, not true to figure out you know riders or situations or looking for other races or looking for other opportunities. Um, the guys who do it really well are able to uh, combine all that stuff. Um, and you know, if I if I was training horses, believe me, I, I obviously I know I could I could come from it from the horseman side of it, but I'd certainly be. And I'm not going to go teach myself to be a handicapper. I'm just going to hire somebody. <laughs> find, uh, I'm going to get them and get one of my friends who I trust and respect, and uh, they're going to be my handicapper, and they can just they can give me. I'm not going to sit there and watch. I and mean, I could believe me, I could sit at the races all day and and not pick up on an inside. I mean, the the number one could win nine races in a row, and and it would I, you would have to say, man, speed's holding from the rail. And I'd say, oh yeah, you're right. Wow, I didn't think of that. That that's just who I am. But meanwhile, I, I can see I might be able to see a horse walking out of the paddock that doesn't look the same as yeah. as he did three weeks ago and i would say pete man that horse that, 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 that horse over the top and the coat's gone bad it's nervous i don't like her in here how important is and we've the, done that i mean we've oh, done that i've seen it in action doing it. oh yeah i've seen yeah. it in action many times how important is the watching horses in the morning versus seeing them right before they're going out in the scenario that you just described i mean are those equally important to the the your betting success uh, I mean, both are important. I think morning is probably more important. Um, I mean, you know, the afternoon can trick you. I mean, a lot of time the adrenaline and, and you know, kind of the moments where, you know, that's, it's not as easy as the, the morning is the, the best time. I mean, that's when you can really see how horses train and how they're acting and how they're traveling. And, um, and you know, that, that's, that's probably, and you get to see them more for sure. I mean, that's when, but again, I, you know, you, you just want to, you want to find, you just want to find a few, you know, it's like, you don't really want to know how all the horses are training. You just want to know that three of them are training out of this world, uh, for what I'm trying to do. I'll have one more for you. I've kept you over time, but I got one more for you. No, I'm good. I'm you talk, we talked before about, you know, the, the sort of, I, I describe it the way you were describing, looking for balance and things like that. I was describing it almost like as a sixth sense thing that needs to be developed. What advice would you give to someone looking to get better, looking to incorporate how horses look in the morning and before the race into their repertoire? What could one do to improve? I mean, you have to look at horses for sure. I mean, you want to look at them as much as you can. And then, you know, and you want somebody with you that, that can help you too. I mean, I, I think, you know, and I, I mean, you and I are great, you're great examples. I think I've helped you oh, immensely learn how to watch a horse to some degree. And you've helped me learn how to handicap to some degree. <laughs> so uh, I think that's important. Um, and you know, it's, it's balance, it's consistency. It's just, and, and but it's, you know, it's going to be your, you know, it's, it's gotta be your feel too. I mean, it can't be, you know, I don't want somebody else's opinion on the horse. That's then that, you know, that, that just, 
that's crushes you. It's got to be your opinion. It's got to be your view, and it needs to be, you know, your gut instinct about a horse. Practice makes perfect is what I'm hearing, and my advice, I just add on to that is I feel like you're going to get a lot more out of developing your eye looking at good horses you know graded stakes I try to go to the paddock every time expensive babies I try to go to the paddock every time I feel like the more you're looking at horses with a lot of form who are you know maybe more at the claiming level I feel like that might be able to throw you off as much as help you in terms of what yeah, I think I yeah, see no question okay yeah, no question. I mean, if Saratoga, look, you want to pick out the races, pick out the two-year-olds, pick out the straight maidens, pick out the allowance, the stakes horses, and, and you can probably, you can look at the others, you'll start. But somebody said to me one day, they said, you know where you'll learn, you learn about horses and what, what, what a racehorse looks like? They said, go to Keeneland November or Phasic Tipton uh, Sale when it's, a, when it's like a, basically the mares, the brood mares sales, and, and stand there and look at those. Look at the fillies who have race records coming off the track who, ha- who have been successful, and look at the ones who haven't been successful. The ones that haven't won. The ones, and they'll all come through that ring and stand there in the back ring and just sit there and watch all those horses and look at the horses and look at their form. This is like you know, let's say Keeneland November is three-year-old, three, four, three and four-year-old fillies, five-year-old mares that are finished their racing career, and sit there and watch those horses. And you will be able to develop, you will figure out what makes a racehorse. You'll see the That's ones great. that have race records look like this, and the ones that don't have race records look like this. That's a really interesting point. I've tried to do that, and I think they're exactly right. You can really sense, you can get a really good sense of what makes a racehorse fast and what makes one slow. It's terrific. Well, this show is always the most fun when it's me having a conversation with somebody I would have had even if the the recorder wasn't going. And this conversation certainly falls into that category. Sean, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to encourage people to check out thisishorseracing.com. Want to have them be reading the Saratoga special in person. What's the best place if anybody wants to get in touch with you about a bloodstock question? Uh, my email's right there, Sean at thisishorseracing.com. So uh, you can reach out to me, call me. You can find me right on uh, right from there. River D Stable is my, my stable. I have a website there, too. Uh, you can check that out, too. Excellent. Sean, thank you so much. Let's do it again soon. Uh, my pleasure. We'll see you at Saratoga. And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I want to thank today's special guest, Sean Clancy, and I will thank in absentia Jonathan Kinchin and Sean Tugel. Sean, still over there in England having fun. JK, I think he's well stuck into this uh, pick six carryover at Belmont by now. Hopefully he's still alive in that this show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.